the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Read as we begin Matthew chapter 1 and one verse there, verse 21, as we begin this morning. Matthew chapter 1, let's all read together out loud, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In my Bible, I have a King James Bible. The name Jesus is capitalized, all capitalized in the English. And in both appearances in verse 21 and also verse 25. And what a beautiful name is his name. So I want to just speak to you on the name of Jesus today. So let's pray. So now, Lord, please use this time to encourage our hearts to look unto you, that you are the one to whom we sing. You are the one who came to earth to do the great work of saving us, as it says even in our text, from our sins. And we pray that you'll help us to truly grasp and understand this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what a name is Jesus. There's no way to properly cover the vast subject of Jesus in in one message. I mean, if you could take a pen and write about Jesus, you could spill all the ink of the world and just get started. If you could use heaven as a parchment and begin writing about Jesus, you would run out of room by the time you finish the introduction. And there's a song, a beautiful song called The Love of God. It says, if we with ink the ocean fill and we're the sky of parchment made, we're every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The Apostle John said, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain all the books that should be written or that could be written of him. So let's consider this morning a little bit about Jesus. And we must seek, we must seek a biblical Jesus, not another Jesus. Not a Jesus who fits our political platform. Not a Jesus who fits our religious beliefs. Or even a Jesus that can fit into the box of our own personal lifestyle that will approve everything we do. But we must seek a Jesus and love a Jesus and believe in a Jesus that's in the Bible. A Bible Jesus revealed to us in God's Word. James Allen Francis wrote a very beautiful poem. It's called One Solitary Life. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it along the way. But I just want to read that poem. It's so beautiful. He writes, He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. Jesus. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years... He served as an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never owned a home. He never went to college. He never traveled vast distances from the place where he was born. 
He did gather a little group of friends around him, and he taught them his way of life. He had no credentials but himself. And when he was 33 years old, the tide of public opinion turned against him. One friend denied him. Another betrayed him. Others ran away. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. And he was nailed to a cross between two thieves. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the kindness of a friend. But on the third day, he rose again from that grave. And those are the basic facts of this human life of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And today we look back over 2,000 years and ask, what kind of trail has, has He left across the centuries? And when we try to sum up His influence, we can say, He is the central figure of the whole entire human race. And all the armies that have ever marched, and all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned, are absolutely picayune in their influence on mankind compared with that of Jesus and His one solitary life. The Jesus of the Bible is not buried in history because He rose again. And because He is Lord. He is God manifest in the flesh. And because His life is told in the only book on earth that's inspired or breathed out by God. And that's indestructible. The Bible, the Word of God. So who is Jesus? Well, it's hard to, in one message to tell you everything about Him. He's from A to Z, the altogether lovely One. He's the Alpha and the Anointed. He's the Beloved Son of the Father. He's the Christ, the Chief Cornerstone. D, He's our Deliverer and He's our Emmanuel, the Everlasting Father. F, He's the Finisher of our faith, our Glorious Lord, the Head of the Church. I, He's the I Am. J, He's Jesus, the Just One, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. And He is the King of Glory, the Light of the World, the Messiah. And He's from Nazareth. He's the Nazarene, the Omega and Offspring of David, the Prince of Peace, the One who quickens our dead soul with His life. He's the Resurrection and He's our Refuge. He's the Son of God. He's the Truth. He's the Creator of the universe. He's the Vine. He's the Word. He's the One who yearns for, to, for you to be saved. And He is the X factor to a lost world. He is from A to Z, or all in all. Altogether lovely. He is Jesus. The altogether lovely One. It says in the Song of Solomon, she asks, have you seen Him whom my soul loveth? Have you seen Jesus? Have you come to know Him? Has He become your Savior? Has He become your friend? Do you walk with Him? Do you talk with Him? You know, to the architect, they say Jesus is a sure foundation. To the astronomer, He's the Son of Righteousness. To the baker, He's living bread. To the carpenter, He's a door. To the doctor, He's the great physician. To the philosopher, He is wisdom. To the farmer, He's the Lord of harvest. To the plant lover, He's the living vine. To the boatman, He's the captain of our salvation. To the ruler, He's the king of kings. To the judge, He is the righteous judge. To the jeweler, He's the pearl 
of great price. To the confused, he's a wonderful counselor. To the newspaper man, he's good news. To the weary, he's the one who gives us rest. And to the sinner, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's what our text says. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So, I just have four questions to ask from this text this morning. It's in the bulletin. The questions are already there. But the first question is, what does He save us from? Well, what does the text say? He saves us from our... It's obvious. He saves us from our sins. Jesus did not come to deliver Israel from Roman domination. Many people missed Jesus because they didn't know why He came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from Satan and sin's domination, from the penalty of sin, from the practice of sin, from the power of sin. And ultimately, He will save us from the very presence of sin itself. He is Jesus. He is our Prince. He is our Savior who gives us repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now, He came to save us from our sins, but His forgiveness and salvation is not an easy acquittal. It cost him a great price, the ultimate price, the rescue plan of God to save you and me from our sins cost the ultimate price, his very blood shed on the cross for us. Why did he have to go through that great sacrifice? Because he is holy and he cannot have fellowship with sin. And the only penalty for sin is death. And so Jesus had to bear that death for me and for you and for all the world, the sins of the world, for He is the Savior of the world, the Bible says. He came to save us from our sins like this man. We don't even know his name, but Jesus came for him who was let down through that roof that day. And He said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Jesus did not come to save you from all your problems. He did not come to save you from your financial crisis that you got yourself into, maybe. He didn't come to save us from our trials. Because guess what? Life has trials. And we all have trials. He didn't even come to save us from from sickness because we're ultimately all going to get the ultimate sickness. It's called death. (laughs) He didn't come to save us from our physical death. Now, He's with us Through all those things. He's with us as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And He's with us through that financial crisis. And He's with us through the trials of life and the problems that we have. And He even saves us from the full force of them. But what He came to do was to save His people from their sins. We need a Bible, Jesus. Don't come to Jesus because you want to get bailed out of your problems. That's not the reason to come to Jesus. Don't come to Jesus because you want a husband or a wife. And I'll pray and I know He'll answer that one. Well, He he can and He will very much, perhaps. But I guarantee you this. If you come to Jesus, He will save you from your sins. That's what He came to save us from. And only Jesus can do it. No one else. No one else who has ever lived No prophet, no religious person, 
No leader of any other religion or schism or cult or whatever can do it. Only Jesus Christ. The text says He came to save us from our sins. And like He told that woman taken in adultery, when He forgave her, go and sin no more. He paid such a high price for our sins, He doesn't save us for us to live in those sins, but to deliver us from them. But second, I want us to answer, ask this question, why? Why did He come to save us? Well, if you are not saved from your sin, you will pay for your sin. And you don't want to have to pay for your sin. Why should you pay for your sin if Jesus already paid for your sins? But you will pay for your sins. You will. If you don't trust Him. If you don't come to Him. If you don't repent. So if we're not saved from our sin, we will pay for our sin. And another reason why He came to save us is simply, you can't save yourself. There's no way you can save yourself from your sin because the penalty of your sin and my sin is what? Is death. And if I pay for my sins, I will have to go to hell. Now, you didn't probably come to church this morning to hear about hell. But this is why Jesus came. (laughs) He came to save us from eternal damnation and doom and destruction and hell. You say, you still believe in that? There's churches that still believe in it? Yeah, churches that believe the Bible... (laughs) absolutely we believe in a heaven and we believe in a hell because it's in the word of God and the word of God doesn't change culture changes and what people think is right or wrong that all changes but the Bible doesn't change beloved and that's why we stand on this rock the word of God and Jesus will save us you see sin is a very serious problem it's not a mistake Sin isn't a pimple that will soon be gone. Sin isn't a broken bone that will heal. Sin is not a stumble that you can cure through self-reformation. Sin doesn't go away if you improve your environment. It doesn't go away if you get a better education. Sin is the deep condition of our souls. The prophet Jeremiah says it's that, this, that the sin is, in a sense, written upon our heart with the very point of a diamond. It's deeply inbred into our soul the way that red is embroidered into the fabric of my tie. You can't get it out. You see, sin has a blinding power. Just ask Samson. Remember what happened to Samson. Sin darkens the understanding. Just ask Saul. It has an enslaving power. Go ahead and ask Saul. Saul, does sin enslave you to hatred and jealousy? Does sin enslave you to its envy? Does it harden your heart towards others where you just want to kill them? Go ahead and ask Judas about sin. Sin, uh, Judas, does sin have a separating power? Oh, yes, it does. He separated himself from Jesus Christ at the Last Summer Supper to go and betray him. Sin is separates. Sin separates us from God. Isaiah says, "But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid His face from you, and He will not hear." Sin defiles the conscience. It darkens the understanding. It hardens the heart. 
Sin has a blinding power, an enslaving power, a separating power. But sin has a damning power, dear friend. Ask that rich man in hell who cried out for just a drop of water. And that's not a parable. Because of sin, we all stand condemned. We sang this morning in Joy to the World that we're in a world that's under the curse of sin. And that's true. Because of Adam's sin, all of us have sinned and the earth is under this curse of death. Sin has smitten all of our soul. It's like a cancer. The cancer of covetousness maybe has infected you or maybe your tongue is blistered with cursing and blasphemy or maybe you're like a, a leper filled with spiritual lust or, or maybe you've been overcome with hatred or maybe you're overcome and, and deceived with poisonous human philosophy even of this day that we're living in. Uh, sin affects everybody in a different sense, a different way. Some people become murderers, but you don't have to be a murderer to be a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Some are afflicted with alcohol and become drunkards. Some become drug addicts and can't, others can't stop their adultery. Some can't stop their jealousy or their bitterness or their lying or their envy. But this much is sure. In my flesh, I'm a sinner. I confess. That's why I needed Jesus. I never thought I needed Jesus. I grew up in a church. I was baptized, as a, I was baptized before I left the hospital. But I wasn't saved. And I went through confirmation only to be able to say, I don't want to go to church anymore. I was confirmed in the ninth grade. But I didn't have anything confirmed. Only my atheism and my unbelief was confirmed. And I said, I'm out of here. Basically, confirmation was for me as now, Matthew, we raise you up the best we can. (laughs) You're a hopeless case. It's your decision. (laughs) So I went, got involved in drugs and alcohol, rock and roll, sins of which I'm ashamed to say today, even from this pulpit. But I needed Jesus Christ to save me. And in spite of that, I went to a church and they told me, Matthew, you're a good boy. They told me about, I I guess I knew Jesus, everybody knows Jesus died for them. I mean, everybody kind of knows, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. But Jesus didn't die for good people, he died for sinners. It says he will save his people from their sins. And we'll get to that question, but his people, at least are those people who know they're sinners and need a Savior. And I didn't know I was a sinner and needed a Savior, but when I found out, yes, Matthew, you are a sinner... And I had to face that reality and truth that I'm a sinner and I'm I'm on my way to hell without Jesus Christ. Then I realized, thank you, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to save me. Listen, this life is so short. Why are you gambling with it if you're here and not born again? Jesus. Just a few simple questions today. Why did He come? He came to save us from our sins. What what does He save us from? He saves us from those sins. And how does He save us? So how does Jesus save us? You You know how come He can save you and you can't save yourself? Because He never... What? He never what? 
He never sinned. There's no one else like that. See, there's no Savior other than Jesus because there's no one who has ever lived sinless except Jesus Christ. And that includes Mary, a very godly and holy woman that we respect. But we do not elevate her to unbiblical extremes. The Bible doesn't say that that Mary is sinless. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Except the God-man Himself. Because even if you notice our text, and go back to Matthew chapter 1 for just a moment, and I want to I point this out because it's actually uh, quite important in Matthew chapter 1, where we read here that Jesus is divinely and miraculously conceived. The Bible teaches the virgin birth. Only Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That means the man wasn't involved with Mary when Jesus was conceived in her womb. It says it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And there's other ways we could teach it, even from this chapter, but we won't right now. But it says in verse 20, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So he's divinely and miraculously conceived of the Holy Ghost, but then notice, it says, she shall bring forth the Son. So he will be humanly Delivered. He will be born as a human. And that that sounds very natural, right? She shall bring forth a son. Every woman who has ever had a son, that could be said of them too. So even though he was miraculously, divinely conceived, he's humanly born. But then the father himself, through the angel, names Jesus. You know, dads and moms like to name their children. So the angel told Joseph, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. So he's divinely named by the Father. And his name means salvation. Jesus means Jehovah, God, our Lord, is salvation. And that's what he came to do, for he shall save his people from their sins. So Jesus is fully man. He's brought forth as a son, but He's fully God, conceived of the Holy Ghost. He's one man with two distinct natures, a perfect, sinless, divine nature, and a sinless human nature. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh, but there was no sin in His flesh. He's the God-man. There's no one like Jesus who has ever been born. And that's why where the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God doesn't apply to Him but it does to everyone else who's ever lived. Jesus. I love what the apostles say. The testimony of these three apostles on the screen. Paul said he knew no sin. And Peter said he did no sin. And John said in him was no sin. He saves us because He is without any sin. So that means He did not have anything. He didn't have to die. See, the penalty of sin is death, but Jesus never died. So the penalty of death wasn't upon Him. He wasn't under a death sentence like we. And so He lived. And you know, there's so many prophecies He fulfilled. One of my favorite prophecies is in Isaiah 35 and verses 5 and 6. 
where there's four specific miracles spoken of by the prophet. And they're right up here on your screen. It says the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and the lame shall leap as a, as a heart, as a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing. Do you know anybody who's done one of those things? I mean, just like by touching somebody, heal a deaf man, a blind man, a lame person, somebody who cannot speak, touch their tongue, and all of a sudden they can speak fluently and clearly? There's no one who's done. Jesus did all four of them, and the Messiah had to do them. And there's prophecies like that. And Jesus fulfilled this hundreds of prophecies that relate to Him. And so He lived a perfect and sinless life under the law of God. But then His greatest work is He went to the cross for our sins. I'm explaining how does He save us from our sins. He saves us by living a sinless life. Living a perfect life of love and righteousness. A perfect life of righteousness He lived. But then He went to the cross. And it's the Gospel, which is good news. Gospel means what? Good news. That Christ died for our sins and He was buried and He rose again from the dead. And this is picture is on our... It's on our church website at that link I put there. And it's a gospel track. I'm sure many of you have seen it. It's called the bridge track. But isn't it descriptive? We have a problem. And God's promised us heaven, eternal life. But how are we going to bridge that gap? And we try to do all kinds of things in our own good works. Maybe I'm going to go to church. I'm going to join the church. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to take the... The, the communion or whatever you want to call it, the Eucharist, some call it. But good works do not save us. The only work that saves us is the work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins because it's His death that pays the, the penalty of what we actually owe God. See, if you get baptized, that's a good work. Believers should get immersed in the water after they become saved, to show forth their faith in Jesus Christ. But there's no saving value in baptism. How come? Because it's not death. We take the Lord's Supper in our church, and we believe that's good and proper. The Lord has commanded us to keep these ordinances, and we do the Lord's Supper. But there's no saving value in eating the bread and drinking the cup. How come? Because it's not death. It doesn't pay for my sins. Jesus pays for our sins when He died on the cross. And in a sense, in a very real sense, He suffered an eternity of hell for all the sins of every sinner who has ever lived. Can you imagine that? That's a miracle. The death of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world is a miracle. That our sins went in His body on the cross and He suffered the equivalency of an eternity in hell for every one of us. That's amazing, isn't it? His death is a miracle. And then, of course, He was buried, and it's a miracle that God should die. But He died to fully satisfy the price. And He went through that cross, by the way, didn't He? He went through the cross. The, the cross is like hell. It's darkness, forsakenness, burning pain on the cross. And He took the hell that we will have to suffer if we don't come to know Him. And when He died on the cross and He shed His blood and He said, it is finished. And then He was buried and the third day, another miracle, He rose again from the dead. 
So if you believe in Jesus, you won't have to pay for your sins because He paid for them. And if you believe in Jesus, you can rise again and have eternal life. Now, going to heaven isn't like going to going on vacation to Greece. <laughs> I mean, going to Greece is beautiful. And going to heaven will be even more beautiful. But you, you can't catch a plane. You can't use your points, you know, to get to heaven. You might use your points to get to, to Greece. But your good works aren't going to get you to heaven. The only work that will get you to heaven is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So look at these couple verses. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification means that God looks at us just as if we've never sinned. Justification is when we believe in Jesus Christ, God gives the believing sinner a a righteous standing in His sight. Now here's the important thing about justification. Is we are fully justified the moment we truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you're justified, you don't have to become more justified. (laughs) And so it says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I have on the screen there, justification in Christ, it's not a fragile thing. It's a sure thing. You're justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Don't you want that? Don't you want to have that peace with God? Through Christ, we have peace with God. And it's not through our church attendance. It's not through our works. It's through our Lord. It's what it says. Have peace with God through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ plus anything? No, plus nothing. Our justification in Christ is not fragile. It does not have to be increased. You don't have to work on your justification. But you believe in Christ and then you rest in that justification. And and that justification we're talking about is salvation. When you're justified, you're declared righteous by God, you're forgiven of your sins, and then He gives you a righteous standing in His sight. And And you're righteous in His sight. And you know how God sees the believing sinner? This very moment, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know how God sees you? He sees you right now as you will be with Him in heaven for all eternity. He sees you already as justified and even as glorified. Salvation is not a fragile thing. It's a sure thing in Jesus Christ. And I love this verse. Can you read it with me? Romans 5.9, it says, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Isn't that beautiful? His blood paid it all for us. What He did on the cross paid for all of our sins. Now, it is so easy for us with our sinful human nature and working through things. The default mode, let me put it this way, the default mode of our sinful human nature is to think we have to please God through our own works. But we cannot please God through our own works, beloved. We have to cast that out. The only thing that will please God is when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The one who pleased God is Jesus Christ. 
He said, this is my beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, the, the Spirit of God comes in you and then God sees you as His own Son through Christ. He sees Christ in you and you have the hope of glory. And you're trusting in Him and Him alone. He's enough. He's sufficient. And it's by faith. Jesus said, Thy faith hath saved thee. Luke 7.50. I I could show you a hundred verses like that. It's through faith. As we just read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. So the fourth thing is this. So who does He come to save? Who has He come to save? It says here in our text, His people. And that's a very interesting phrase. And different people will do different things with that. Where it says, Call His name Jesus. He shall save His people from their sins. There's a sense in, I believe, that all of us are His people. Because He's the one Creator. And I'm a part of His creation, so I'm His by creation. Every person is His by creation. So I believe that is one way we can look at it. But His people are the whosoevers, ultimately, who call upon Him. And believe in Him. And receive forgiveness from Him. I love all those whosoever verses. And, you know, I'm glad for those whosoever verses because I'm a whosoever. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, Lord, I'm a whosoever. None of us are as important as we think. Just be a whosoever. Who are the people that will, who are His? The ones who are His people are ultimately those who will be His by His saving work on the cross. Now, who can be saved? Whosoever. But ultimately, His people are those who know they need a Savior. Those who know they need a Savior. And those who know they cannot save themselves. And so they cry out to Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you have heard said, Oh, you know, all the religions of the world are the same. And I'm glad you found your religion. Oh, I'm glad you're happy in your religion. Uh, but all the religions are the same. And, you know, because they all teach the same thing. They teach, you know, love God, love your neighbor, do the good things, you know, be nice, don't kill anybody, you know. How many of you have heard that, right? You don't have to raise your hand. I think we've heard that so many times. And, and there's the old saying is true here. When you repeat a lie long enough, everybody believes that lie. And that is a big lie. All religions are not the same. And if anyone says that to me, I just try to kindly correct them. I say, this is what I say. Say, you know, you're kind of right. All the religions of the world are are the same, except the way of Jesus Christ. Because there's no religion that teaches that God took on human flesh and went to a cross to die for the sins of the world and then he was buried, and then rose again, and he's seated at the Father's right hand, and he's coming back. Islam doesn't teach that. Buddhism doesn't teach that. And all the other world religions of the world, Judaism doesn't teach that. This is a distinctive Christian message. There's really two religions in the world, though. There's Cain's, which is the way of works, and there's Abel's, the way of faith. And other people have put it this way. The two religions of the world are do this, do that, do that. 
and don't do that and don't do that and definitely don't do that. And then you'll be okay. That's one religion. Basically a religion of works. But the Christian faith says, not do, but it is done in Jesus Christ. We don't have to do anything to truly become saved. Now, once we are saved, we are to work for Him. And I don't minimize the importance of works. But works do not save us at all. They show that we have been saved. They show that the grace of God is working in us and we want to please our God because of the great sacrifice He made on the cross. I believe when we understand how sinful we are, the penalty that we've been saved from, and the grace that Jesus Christ showed to save us to go to the cross, that is the highest motivation to do the works for God. That's the highest motivation. Motivated by grace. The evangelist D.L. Moody, he left Chicago to go on a citywide campaign to the West Coast. And when he went, and he was, a, he was a well-known around the world at this time, the engineer on the train who was a Mormon heard that D.L. Moody was in his train. So he asked one of his conductors to bring D.L. Moody if he could come into his cab. And Moody consented. And so... Uh, D.L. Moody went and he talked to the engineer of the train on his train ride from Chicago to Salt Lake City. And as they were getting closer to Salt Lake City, this engineer, who was a Mormon, he appealed to Moody. He said, Mr. Moody, you would make such a fine Mormon preacher. Won't you please become a Mormon? And Mr. Moody replied, I could never become a Mormon preacher. But he said, however, there's really not a lot of difference between your religion and mine. Just two letters. And the puzzled engineer said, I don't understand. What do you mean? And Mr. Moody said, you spell your religion D-O. Do this. Do that. Do that. And I spell my religion done. Through Jesus Christ, the one who paid for my sins, By His atoning sacrifice on the cross. It is Jesus Christ who has done all that was necessary to cleanse me of my sins by the power of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And Moody told him, I am going to heaven through the finished work and the merits of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus came. And that's what Matthew chapter 1, I believe, is speaking of where He says, For He shall save His people from their sins. Are you His? Are you His? That is, have you come to the place where you understand you're a sinner and you need a Savior and you believe it's Jesus Christ who did the work and it's done? You just have to rest in Him. Let's stand together as we pray. And I'd like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you for your kind attention today. Thank you for coming today to be with us in our church. We're a simple church. We don't believe a church is brick and mortar. A church is the people. And each person you see here is a stone in the building of this church of Jesus Christ, Heritage Baptist Church.
with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I tried to share with you a simple message. And if you're saved already, I didn't say anything you don't know already. But maybe there's someone here today who is not saved. And you say, Pastor Matt, I need Jesus. I do need Jesus to save me from my sins. This is God's gift. God is offering you a gift of salvation, forgiveness. He's offering you His Son. Imagine receiving a gift from your husband or your wife and say, no, I don't want that. Or a gift from your mother or father and rejecting, refusing it. You, you wouldn't do that to your own flesh and blood. Will you do it to your Creator, God, who loves you so much, who wants you to be with Him? He's saying, I want you to be mine. Mine by redemption, but mine through salvation, mine through Jesus. So I would just like to ask, how many would say here today, Pastor Matt, I know Jesus is my Savior. I praise Him. Through Him, I'm on my way to heaven. I thank God that He's given me the assurance of salvation through through Jesus Christ. Can I see your hand? Just put it up. Hold it up for just a moment. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You may put it down. I saw many hands go up. And I'm not looking around to say, oh, I, I actually didn't see any hands not go up. But maybe you didn't put your hand up. But you would say, Pastor Matt, I want to be able to put my hand up and I need Jesus. Can I see your hand? Can you just put it up that I could pray for you? Is there anyone? Can I pray for you today? there's anyone here who needs Jesus to save you from your sins if you have any questions about anything that I've said I'll be here after the service we'll have a we'll have a pizza meal in just a few moments we have other many people here who could answer your questions as well so we invite you to stay with us but let's sing together now Lord please work and thank you Lord you left your throne in your kingly crown to come and save us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.